The Mentors. This is Vadim and Sergey, and this is a podcast where we interview founders who have succeeded despite having no entrepreneurial experience to try to understand how they overcame the obstacles that every entrepreneur faces in the critical early days. Today, we're excited to share with you this interview we recorded with Max Alschiller, who went from running a fairly small meetup of about 20 people in San Francisco to running his first conference from that group that did about $60,000 in revenue with just four weeks of planning and execution. And he grew that into a full-fledged media company that now reaches millions of salespeople across the world and has done eight figures in revenue, and that's called Sales Hacker. He's also uh, an author, and he's launching a new book this week. And he runs three businesses at the same time, saleshacker.com, getcareerhacking.com, and sipsutra.com, which is a coffee company. So we're really excited to dig into his story and tell you how he's been able to design a life where he can work on the entrepreneurial ventures uh, on a daily basis and do the things that really make him happy. And now, Max. But most of the time, like, this is what I like to do. So where most people are watching, like, binge-watching Netflix or getting into, you know, Game of Thrones or going out and playing around the golf, like, I'm, I'll stop working on Sales Hacker, but, like, start writing a book or start, uh, you know, working on Sutra, which is our healthy coffee alternative. We're in, uh, we just got into the Bean, but not this one. Uh, the one on, uh, I think it's 2nd Ave and 3rd Street. It's another company that I started with my girlfriend and another guy and uh, running that you know, uh, doing them, I think like 15k a month now in sales. Really? So, wow. Yeah, it's like I, I love this shit. This is fun. You know, yeah. that's so, incredible. So it works out. Was Sales Hacker your first business? Yeah. Well, my first company that like successfully launched in college. I had a bike share program uh, called Rack and Ride. We were way too early to the U.S., um, but I had lived in Barcelona for a year. I was an architecture major when I was in Barcelona. It was 07, 08. The housing market crashed. Called my dad and I was like, love architecture, but I'm not going to have a job after college. What the fuck am I going to do? So he's like, well, maybe you should start diversifying your classes. Now you can always go back to architecture. So I started taking business classes, merged them with my design classes. All I really wanted to do was start my own business. And they had this amazing bike share program where you, you know, swiped a card, your membership card, took out a bike, rode it to another rack in another part of town, locked it in, and then you never had to worry about that bike again. So I was like, let's bring this to Arizona State. So I brought it there. So... I actually won a business plan competition with two of my buddies at Arizona State, and then um, and then we got exclusive rights to commercial bike sharing signed off on by the university. We had uh, the university architect uh, sign off on our locations, and um, and we got pretty far with it, but we couldn't raise the money needed. And again, this is now 2009, so we're three 22-year-olds trying to raise a couple million bucks for a you know manufacture bikes and computers, and and it just wasn't happening in that economy um right after you know the recession we just gone through and i'm so glad it didn't happen because it would have been such a pain in the ass there's so much liability and insurance and all these Mm. different types of things and um and then in the news yesterday uber just bought a company for 100 million that did uh yeah that did like dockless bike sharing and then i saw arizona state just uh launched a couple different you know bike sharing options so you know 10 years later the timing was a lot better. The market, the recession had, you know, is is way in our rearview mirror. I mean, it, I don't think we've ever ever had a better economy than right now, and uh, and it's just been, um, you know, easier to, to raise money and get these things to market. So, I don't know. I'm glad that didn't work out. Um, after that, went and started a uh, social media management company for small businesses. 
Mm. Uh, so we sold to real estate agents, bars and restaurants. And our goal was to make American money while living abroad. So we took it to Costa Rica and Nicaragua and ran it there for, uh, let's say, like three, four months. And um, after that, we were kind of just sitting there in the in the kitchen. You know, we drank a ton of coffee, a bunch of alcohol, and we were just having fun in Costa Rica and Nicaragua. And we we're like, all right, it's time, time to get serious. What are we going to do next? Who's we in this case? Is like uh, people from college that you already worked with that you wanted to work with again? Yeah. So the two guys that I worked with on the bike share program were two two of my close friends from college. After the bike share program kind of fizzled out, I had just graduated. One of them went to Argentina to do a, like a six-month program in something. I forgot what it is. And the other one ended up going to work on as like a deckhand on yachts. And then when I went to do this uh, social media company, it was two other buddies from college. Um, one at the time was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and the other one was like a PA um, doing... Uh, getting coffee and bagels for people in Hollywood, you know, it's mm. that kind of job. And so they were both like, all right, uh, jumping at the chance to do something else. So we sat in a room in my apartment in Arizona after I graduated. I still had the apartment for like another month or two. And we sat there for two weeks with a bunch of Red Bull and Adderall and, um, <laughs> you know, five-hour energies and, you know, uh, beer, whatever we needed. And cranked out a business, and we sold 5K in the first two weeks worth of our product. And we're like, all right, we got we to gotta fit here. Let's, let's figure this out. So over the next month, we kept selling. We said when we hit a certain number, we'd uh, pack up and go down to Costa Rica. So we hit the number after the first month, went down to Costa Rica. And uh, I think we did like two months in Costa Rica, two months in Nicaragua, or something like that, give or take. And Wait, um, this is for fun or to... This was to work. To get customers. Well, this was, we were able to run a business making American money, so getting American customers by calling instead of doing face-to-face. -face. Mm. So we were able to get new customers, service customers, and do everything from Central America um, without having to step foot in the U.S. Wow. So, and our cost of living there, we lived like kings. You know, so it was, it was three of us, we actually had enough money to pay for a fourth to come down who ended up being our designer. He was another guy, another friend of ours who did five-year architecture program. And was like, all right, before I get into my first architecture firm and start, you know, breaking my back again, I'll come down, join you guys, and I'll do the design for the for the campaigns that you're running. So we were running like social media campaigns for like the John Wooden Award. It was like a marketing web development agency, mm -hmm. and this was um, this was back when you can build uh, little websites within your Facebook page. So you remember like the Skittles and Starbucks sites where you can actually like, click the tabs and they had like little. Uh, animations or games or you know giveaways you can do inside your page and it was built inside of the iframe that they had mm -hmm. um, so I think this was like 2010 2011 around then um, and we like dabbled in the affiliate world trying to figure out if we can you know run uh, run you know affiliate businesses we tried to start our own companies and we just didn't have the experience so parlayed that into a job at Udemy and I was the uh, second business hire and first guy focused on the sales side of their marketplace. How, how big was the team when you joined them? They were four in the U.S. and I think another three or four in Turkey. Mm -hmm. So the two founders were Aaron and Oktay, were both from Middle Eastern Technical University, so in Ankara, Turkey. So they we had, we had dev resources in Ankara, Turkey, and then the biz side of the business and and the two. Uh, founders were in San Francisco and uh, I just saw the potential there I was like a marketplace for continued education it sounds genius we were using Udemy and Linda to learn in our previous business when we were building out these sites um, and these like Facebook pages mm -hmm. so we knew that there was a real application there and in the, the the economy that we're in now looking back on it it's like um, 
you don't need to go work for a corporate. You don't need, you can, everybody can work for themselves now and be a freelancer. Um, we have an intern working for us on Sutra and we've taught her how to build out these um, Instagram profiles and pages. And so she knows how to take pictures now. She knows how to lay them out so that each picture kind of creates a larger story. She knows how to write the captions. She knows how to actually like optimize for growth. She knows how to do like the little icons on the stories. If she wants to after this internship, she can just go to a bunch of like small startup brands and charge them like a thousand or two thousand dollars a month, get you know six to ten of those. That's probably not even a 40 hour a week job. She's making good money right at college. She doesn't need to go work for anybody. Right. So like there are lots of little things now that you can do as a as a freelancer. And these cor- these you know companies like Udemy and Linda, I mean, to be able to to teach people for forty nine dollars something that they can then learn how to do and then go sell to other people. I mean, it's it's the best arbitrage that there is. It's the best learning that you can get now. Um, I want to actually, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right that anyone can sort of be their own boss now, I think, if they have the confidence to, to be able to get customers, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for somebody that's just starting out, for example, like your intern, uh, if she told you, hey, I want to go off on my own after this internship, what sort of sales advice would you give her, minimal sales advice, if you had maybe a few hours of just to, to show her, train her, what would you tell her to do on a daily basis to get those customers? Yeah, I'd tell her to go out and find companies like ours. I mean, we had a need for her. Fortunately, uh, so I run Sutra with my girlfriend. My girlfriend, before we were running Sutra, is a basically like a a marketer, but your specialization was probably in like um, influencer marketing type stuff. So she was really good at Instagram. She was really good at going out and getting affiliates and working with people that were in the space. So reaching out to people who uh, might be interested in a product like ours, getting them to post it on their stories, on their Instagram, whatever, uh, you know, on their blog, if it was something that was relevant. So that's what she's doing for Sutra. And she hired these interns and she's training them to do like little pieces of that. So we have another one that's writing blogs for SEO. um, And now she's like, now she's becoming an expert in this like nice little niche thing. And they can go out and find companies like ours and and sell to them for whatever they're willing to pay. So let's say um, Sutra is a healthy coffee alternative, you know, early stage company. What other companies are in a similar space to ours? Well, there's like Four Sigmatic, there's a Dirty Lemon, um, which does like uh, activated charcoal lemonade. There's Ample, which is a uh, like a keto uh, supplement powder drink. You just pour water in. It's like a protein shake. I see, you know, I see a different one every day on uh, them getting targeted on on Instagram. So you can go on there and just find a bunch of um, really early products and go to them and say, hey, I, I noticed you know you don't really have an Instagram strategy. You know, I'll take it over for you. It's a thousand dollars a month, and you know, here's here's what I did for uh, Sutra, and I'd be happy to give her some stats from before. You know, she started and now so she can show, you know, even if it's not the best story, you know, I'll help her make it into a story that she can show other companies. Here's a little, uh, you know, one pager, a little case study or something like that, having worked with us for, you know, two months that you can use in selling to, you know, some of these other companies. Now, there's there's a lot of obviously, let's say, self-proclaimed social media uh, experts out there. Maybe yeah. they could easily go and build an Instagram page and buy up a bunch of users, you know, and say, hey, look, I have 30,000 followers. I can do the same for you. So how, how would she stand out from the noise and how should she reach out to these companies um, to actually get their attention? Yeah, so the first thing I'd probably do is, I, I, I don't know if I'd go the route of uh, building out, I don't know, some crazy, you know, uh, Instagram page for myself with 
a bunch of paid followers or anything like that. I think like what she should do is have her own page that's obviously optimized in the way she wants to optimize it. So if somebody's going to look at it, they can say, oh, well, uh, you know, yours looks pretty good. But really, it's not about her and her own individual brand. And, and if she was selling it, I'd say like, yeah, yeah I, I don't really do much for my own personal page. It's not, it's not really the point. Here are the people that I've worked with before. They're businesses. They're just like you. Um, so I think that's the first thing. Um, I don't even know if she really needs like a landing page. She can just use you know, us, but yeah, sure. You can go on Insta page and build out a landing page. You can probably get somebody on Upwork to do it for, you know, I don't know, a hundred bucks or something like that to do a decent, decent enough job just to have like a, um, a sign up link and, you know, Stripe account connected to it or something like that. But the main thing is just going out and doing the research on the, on the other companies that are in the space. So sit down, set up a spreadsheet, you know, in Google docs or Excel or whatnot, or even just a, a pad and a paper and, and go down and make a list and see if you can find 200 companies that are similar to ours that you can go out and prospect into. And then just slide into their DMs. It's as easy as that. Go into their Instagram. You know, The odds are that they're posting, but their posting is terrible. And I've seen this a million times. I've gone, we've like, we've done competitive research. We've gone into other people's pages and been like, this is terrible. What the fuck are they doing? Like, why can't they figure this out? Or, or why haven't they paid attention to this? Because like, well, this is one of our best channels doesn't make sense to neglect it for as cheap as it is to be able to get somebody to do it. I mean, we had an intern doing it um, with a little bit of tutelage from Ashley, my girlfriend. So now, you know, I don't know, could she start at 500 a month or something like that and get a couple of customers? I think she could. Like, it's better than going and, I don't know, making three or four grand in her first job. And she's in Miami. So, like, she's not in New York. So, you know, her first job is likely to be in the, the three thousand, maybe four thousand dollar range, whereas in New York maybe it's a little more because you factor in cost of living. So you started just from reading up about you. Um, you started Sales Hacker because I think, well, uh, probably there was some uh, natural pull there, but also because there wasn't, I think, from your perspective, a structured way to teach sales or learn sales for people. But you yourself were able to kind of figure it out, it sounds like, along the way. You started a couple of businesses. Do you think you're a natural salesperson? And, um, you know, how did you gain the confidence, especially out of college, to pick up the phone? Maybe you're, I'm assuming you did some cold calling back then because it was a little bit more appropriate back then. But, yeah, how would you get the confidence? How would you know what am I going to say to these people? Did you read up about it? Did you self-educate? What was the process there? It was a lot of self-education. So I would never done a proper sales job before. I had never had a proper... Uh, I've never worked for like a proper VP of sales or head of sales or anything like that. I never had a sales mentor, but my dad was a financial advisor. And when you're a financial advisor, it's all about relationships. And so understanding how to talk to people. So I'd like to think that I had the natural social skills and really social awareness to be in sales. And I think that's the main piece is uh, understanding social situations and social awareness and, and how to be, um, I had somebody, I think it was Steve Blank, uh, we were trying to get him to teach a course. It was Steve Blank's like number two guy or something like that. We were trying to get Steve to teach a course. And he's like, you're like a pit bull on a meat truck, but you're doing a great job of being persistent without being uh, pushy or pesky. And I was like, all right, that, that seems like what sales is to me. It was like, all right, how do I stay on top of this person, make sure I'm following up consistently and, um, and at least like adding some kind of value when I follow up? so that this person doesn't get a negative opinion on me, but I'm still making ground on this sale. And um, it's really just about understanding those boundaries. And then from there, you know, there's a lot of other the pieces that connect. Like I, I had never been in sales before. Um, 
and I had to kind of self-educate. You know, I read a couple books. The first book I read was uh, The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. And that was more laying out like the, the principles of sales and like the, the right things to do. But then there's more technical books like Aaron Ross's book, Predictable Revenue, my book, Hacking Sales, that ended up writing. I wish I had read Aaron's book earlier because I ended up building out most of those processes. Then I read that book and I was like, damn, I should have read this book six, seven months ago. I would have been in a much better place. But, you know, I, I think like the main thing is just uh, is, is like undeniable passion. And I don't know if it was like the, I don't think it was really the founders of Udemy. I know that some people buy into like this, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid type thing. or like, oh, we're going to change the world. I was actually working for a company that could change the world. We were, we were building a marketplace in the online education space. And, you know, education is a $2 trillion market. You look at what college is and college doesn't work. College is ridiculous. By the time something makes it into a textbook, it's obsolete. When I was in grade school, we were learning about how many cells are in a leaf and not being taught about, you know, what the APR means on our credit cards or, you know, how to do our taxes. The entire system is completely broken. I, for one, um, as somebody who was basically cast away by my teachers in a lot of ways and said, oh, he's got a learning disability. He needs Ritalin. He needs to go into special classes. No, you're just teaching me the same way you would teach somebody else, even though we learn in different ways. And you're teaching me the same things, even though we're going to do completely different things. And, um, and I just didn't want to buy into that system. So when I went to Udemy and I approached them, I was like, this is where I want to work. This is what I want to sell because I'm super passionate about it. And when you have that passion and you're actually selling something you truly believe in, it makes it a lot easier to sell. So a lot of my, my dials and my calls, it wasn't about having the, um, I guess, like self-esteem um, or confidence to make those calls. It was that I truly believed that this was something that you need to do, not only because is this the future of education, but like you're an author, you wrote a book, great. The next thing you should do is create a course if you want to monetize that book. It's like the only natural evolution from there. You have a book that you sell for $20 a book. Now create a course, everybody that bought your book is going to buy your course. So you just go another level and it's and people like to learn in what uh, you know a few different ways. So it's uh, something written, um, something visual, like you know, you know, course auditory, or actually like learn by doing. So you can, if you can train them in all four different ways, you can actually get them to pay four different times for basically the same training. So I, I sold and I still do as if I'm a doctor and, and you know maybe you have a broken leg and you're sitting there, you know, eating at a restaurant, and your bone is popping out through your skin. Like I'm gonna fix your leg. Like this, I'm not gonna let you tell me no. This is the best thing for you. That's gonna get infected. You're gonna have to cut your leg off. Like that's ridiculous. Let me fix it. So if you sell with that passion that you believe like this is the best fucking thing I could possibly do, then there's really no like confidence or self esteem needed because like you have this. There's no other way. Like why would you let? Why would you not do this? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that's how to approach it. And it's a, it's one of those skills I think that it's very transferable. So if you're willing to put yourself out there, if you have no sales experience and do it for yourself, it's one of the best ways to do it. Because if you have that sort of intrinsic motivation, the passion, you'll stumble a little bit in the beginning, but eventually you'll figure out the pitch. Like you said yourself, you believe that you're really addressing somebody's pain. Mm-hmm. It's not going to feel like you're interrupting them too much, yeah. even though maybe sometimes it will, but you will get past it, especially once you start seeing that people are actually getting value from what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but you're creating a lot of content now. You mentioned, for example, Aaron's book. I also read that uh, back in the day. 
But as you're creating this content, how do you think about making sure that it doesn't become obsolete, making sure that there's longevity there? I mean, of course, sales, there's certain principles and skills that probably, because it's a very, uh, it's about communication and about being able to uh, communicate value to people. Uh, but how do you make sure, especially when you're getting into the nitty gritty and the technical stuff, that it stays relevant? Yeah, it's tough. And, and that's why you have a blog and a podcast and you're constantly releasing stuff because you really don't know where the market's going to go. You look at G- GDPR that's happening right now. There are probably co- posts that we put out um, and, and areas of my book even in Hacking Sales that come May 25th when GDPR hits in certain areas or to certain segments of the market, they're going to be obsolete. Like you're not going to be able to send emails the same way we told you to send emails four years ago or three years ago when we wrote that book or wrote that article, uh, because there are different laws that are in place now in certain uh, in certain geos. So it's just how it goes. So we just want to create content. You know, I, I sold the rights to that book to Wiley, and there are a lot of times where I wish I would have kept it self-published so I can kind of update it uh, fairly often because it it's a needs updating. So maybe I'll launch like a V2 at some point, but. For the blog content, that's why we post four articles a day. And that's why we post from practitioners. So we don't want to post from um, you know, people who've been authors for 20 years or people who um, you know, have just, you know, just run the, the conference speaking circuit or anything like that. We want to post from people who um, are VPs of sales at you know, 200 to 1,000 person companies or more. I mean, anywhere. But um, let's say you're a VP of sales at a 1,000 person business intelligence company and you do something really interesting in your sales process, I want you to write about that. Because we want to uncover like unique nuances or, or like hacks, tips, tactics, strategies inside the sales process that you can't read about elsewhere. It's a constant evolution. And that's one of the best things that about what we do versus even if sales becomes a college um, course, which it hasn't been, you know, there's only a couple colleges where you could take a sales course. But even if they do, I mean, by the time you print that textbook, it's obsolete. So a blog is a really good way, you know, or, or, or online publication is a good way to stay relevant in that. Yeah, that's really smart because either way, there's a lot of content being produced out there. It's impossible to consume all of it. But by making sure, I feel like that uh, you're consistently posting and also to your point, uh, addressing it with practitioners who are practicing it every single day and figuring out new ways themselves people will find it at the relevant time for them and it'll, and the content will be uh, really uh, something they can use and put to action right away. So that makes sense. So I, I want to uh, sort of back up a little bit and hear a little more about the origin story of yeah. Sales Hacker because clearly you identified uh, through your own uh, business, side business that you started, the uh, social media consultancy, you identified a skill that you had, which is sales. You actually found a company that you would be really passionate uh, to work for, and you reached out proactively, which I'm sure you cover in your in your book uh, that's coming out, Career Hacking for Millennials. Um, but then uh, it sounds like, so you helped grow sales, you helped grow the revenue engine for Udemy, you later did it for LegalZoom, there's other folks that have talked about that story. Um, at what point did you identify a sales conference as a potential business opportunity and not just something you do on the side? And how did that even come about? Yeah. So when I was at Udemy, we were growing pretty quickly on the supply side and other founders were asking our founders and other VCs were asking our founders how we were doing it. And we had a couple really hacky processes that we set up. So we were one of ToutApp's first customers, which at that time um, was today's version of you know sales loft and outreach, all that kind of stuff. So batch email sending that made it look personalized. Um, let's see, we had a team of virtual assistants built out in the Philippines. They were going out and building lists 
um, using SEO tools to do keyword strings. It was like a complete, uh, you have to read Hacking Sales if you want like the, the kind of background on it. But um, it was something that we built from scratch that was completely like hacked together, but in a way that was super scalable and streamlined. And, you know, we would build, test, measure, and optimize every piece of it, subject lines to call to actions, you know, um, you name it. So these founders and these VCs were uh, approaching our founders and they would push them to me and I'd have conversations with everyone on like, you know, detailing what we were doing. And it was apparent that there were a lot of people interested in, in figuring out how to hack the sales process. And one guy wrote an article on how to scrape Python his name was Ryan Buckley, and he was the CEO of Scripted at the time. And I was I saw that article, and I was like, "This guy's doing what we're doing. We gotta we gotta connect." So met up with Ryan, ended up meeting with, up with another guy, Xander Ford, who was the head of sales at Blue Kai at the time, and then TK from Toutapp, and um, another guy, Matt Ellsworth, who actually applied to Udemy, didn't get the job, ended up at Storefront, and um, we interviewed him. And after the interview, he was like, "Hey, I know I didn't get the job, but like." sound like a good guy let's let's hang out i thought he was a smart guy so i was like sure we became really good friends he got a job at storefront and was doing a lot of the hacky stuff that we were doing so we the five of us would meet monthly and we'd talk about all the different hacky stuff we were doing inside the sales process and it was super valuable super beneficial to us and so we said okay you know let's all grow this thing slowly bring somebody of value if you want you know every month we'd meet and then it would be eight people and then blah 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 and then uh, right when I left attorney fee, when they sold to LegalZoom, uh, we had a meeting and there was 20 of us in there. And I said, you know, who here would be interested if we started a conference out of this? And in that room, I had Jason Lemkin, who had just sold uh, EchoSign to Adobe. Um, he was attending, you know, the group now. He had been writing a lot on Saster. But again, this was like 2014. So this was before Saster is what it is now. We had, um, no, this is 2013, actually. We had uh, Matt Cameron, who just got on to be the VP of sales at Scripted, but was the VP of global sales at Yammer before that when they sold to Microsoft. We had Armando Mann, who was the VP of sales at Relate IQ, which uh, later sold to Salesforce for like $390 million. We had um, Doug Landis, who is the uh, VP of sales productivity at Box. Um, and I think this was while Box was still a private company. Yeah, it definitely was. So we had some really good name guys in there at the time. And uh, they all became speakers at the first conference. And between uh, Tout App and Scripted, TK was in there. We already had enough money to cover the cost of the conference, basically, like from sponsorship perspective, right off the bat. How did you know how to price the sponsorship uh, if you, since you've never done it before? I didn't. I just pulled a number out of my ass and said, all right, well, this is the price. What was the number? Uh, I think I charged TK like 15 grand and uh, Ryan was like a small sponsor so he'd be like 2,500 or something like that. Did you have to commit to saying we're going to get this size audience to the group? No. We, so actually we said it was going to be 100 hand-picked and once we got past 100, I was like, all right, well, our space holds 300. Should we just like open this thing up? And everybody's like, yeah, why not? So we had 300 people there. So they actually got more than what they paid for. I, I, TK from App, still a good friend of mine, now he's a GVP over at Marketo because they, they got acquired. And um, he still says that was the best money he's ever spent on marketing because everybody thought it was a Tout App event. So we you know we gave them the marquee sponsorship. So it was like Sales Hacker Conference presented by Tout App. In hindsight, should have left that part out because you know uh, for probably a year after that, people thought it was a Tout App thing. Mm. Um, 
but he got a lot of bang for his buck on it and he ran the first event took me four weeks worth of work just one just me um 60 grand in profit and i was like oh there's there's business here what was the the work that went into that month how did you get those first hundred people yeah, so because there weren't a lot of sales conferences at the time, or the sales conferences that were around rubbed people the wrong way, it was really easy to get people to rally around this. Um, plus, I had some really amazing speakers on board. Um, and it was the first one that was like dedicated to sales technology, which was like this emerging part of sales. You know, everybody really wanted to learn how to to leverage things like ToutApp and, and, and VAs in the Philippines on their teams and, um, you know, scrape the webs and uh, web and build massive lists, you know, to do outbound. Like, and we, and I had Aaron Ross keynote it, which was just a, a hail Mary that I threw out there. And, you know, at the time it was like, Hey, our whole group read your book. Um, we got to get this out there more. Like, would you want to come, you know, keynote this conference? So we got Aaron in. So we had a pretty amazing lineup, you know, for first conference like that. Um, and at that time, uh, you know, people would, would share it more. Now there's a sales conference, sales or marketing conference every week, almost all year. It's ridiculous. Um, at that point, that was it. Like if you got a sponsor, they'd promote it and they'd say like, come stop by this booth. Now, you know, a a vendor has a conference basically every week. So they're like, oh, we're not promoting that. We're going to be at a booth anywhere to our list because we're, we can't do that every week. We'd churn our entire list. So it's a different. It was a different world than we live in today. And 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 even for our business now. I mean, we're we used to run a, a conference in New York City called Sales Machine with with uh, with Salesforce, which was a huge partnership for us, and still is a big partnership for us. But we've moved it over to digital, and we're getting out of that New York conference and just doing one U.S. conference and one U.K. conference uh, this year because conferences uh, for for companies like ours are just you know not worth it. There's too many. Um, vendor-based conferences now that that can lose money and uh, there's really nothing we can do from a conference perspective that's different from theirs because everybody wants to speak so cool so sounds like it was a lot of organic growth word of mouth um, and people promoting to their own lists so you didn't really have to invest anything in in marketing uh, in marketing that conference so you mentioned, I believe, that you made sixty thousand in profit from that yeah. first conference. So what happened after that? The the conference wraps up. Uh, Sorry, and just what to do clarify, you think? Is that sixty grand from just sponsors, or you charge attendees as well? We charge tickets too. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So conference ends the next day. What are you thinking? What what's your next step? Yeah, so I'm riding a high at that point because I'm like, all right, I you know, I didn't know what I was going to do next uh, after attorney fee. I, I had known that at that point that I was sick of making other people rich. You know, I had made two sets of founders a lot of money, and you know the the whole myth about getting equity. It's like you're not gonna make much. Um, it's just it's just, you got to be founder. Um, so you know, I'm I'm sure my Udemy stock one day will be worth something, but it's a topic for another point or something like that. But long game. Uh, yeah, but at that point, I was like, all right, if I do this for another year, I'll have a pretty amazing network. I'll learn a ton from people I usually wouldn't have access to. So, you know, one of the guys, for example, was Mark Roberge, who was the uh, CRO at HubSpot at the time, and he had just wrote Sales Acceleration Formula, and we got him to keynote one of our events. And, you know, it was, it was amazing because now that I had something of value to a lot of these people, you know, I'm, here I am sitting in the same room as Jason Lemkin, who just sold his company for $100 million. And, um, you know, I, this isn't where I was when I was at Udemy. When I was at Udemy, I was heads down, 
you know, a nobody in tech that was just getting started. And like very quickly, I went from that to like starting to develop a network with some pretty legit people in the space. So I said, okay, um, let's try to do this in New York. You know, in the this was so I did this event in the fall. I was going to do New York in the following spring. So like, uh, I'd say, you know, five months. And I had some runway from the money I'd made previously and the 60K. So I was like, all right. Uh, in the meantime, I could do a little consulting here and there for some companies and figure out if there's anywhere I want to go like full time as a as a co-founder like uh, or a VP of sales with like a pretty big, um, you know, equity hit or something like that. And uh, nothing, nothing really like came up that I was like, okay, I got to do this. So I ran the conference in New York. Same thing. I think it took me like six weeks uh, made 50k profit, and it was like, all right, there's a business here. I can do this again. I can keep uh, keep these going. I think we did. Um, uh, we started our meetups then. Those were making like five to seven k per meetup. Uh, so there was money coming in, and I was like, all right, there's a business here. But the best thing was like, I'm building a network. It's like a long term asset. So if any time I want to get out of this, I can go get aqua hired into you know a big uh, a big company for. Uh, um, or a you know an interesting startup that just raised a lot of money, and I'll carry my network with me, and you know maybe I'll get a, a signing bonus you know for bringing in sales hacker or something else, or I just keep running this thing and, and maybe I start a fund or maybe I do a roll up uh, or maybe we build technology into it. Like there were a lot of different directions I can go in, so it was pretty exciting. And then it kind of just snowballed from there. Uh, um, in two thousand. 14, so I guess a year later, Jason Lemkin approached me from Saster, and he was like, hey, I want to start a conference. Can you help? And I actually responded to the email. I was like, yeah, we'll help you promote it. He's like, no, I need somebody to actually like help run it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so we actually negotiated a 50-50 profit share on that, and I was like, he's got a much bigger network than I do. Like, This is awesome. And I uh, was, again, really passionate about the SaaS space, so we helped him with the first two Saster annuals. And now he's, uh, I think he's doing 15,000 people a year at that conference. So we ran the first two events uh, for him there. And it's opened up a lot of doors for me since. And, you know, wrote the book Hacking Sales, sold it to Wiley, um, have career hacking for millennials coming out next week. So it's just set me off on like this interesting journey. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I never, not at one point looking back on it, was anything like premeditated. Was I like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I was like, we're going to keep our heads down and focus on the day-to-day, getting better every day, and, and then doors will open for us. And I think we've, we've done a lot of things right, and we've definitely done a lot of things wrong, but nothing that's sunk us. So. I think that's a really great outlook is, you know, when you're, when you're considering entrepreneurship or even just doing, creating anything, really, and investing your own personal time into something where you don't really necessarily know if it's going to reap uh, dividends and results – it's much better if you go into it with no expectations. I mean, obviously, if you're building a business, there's certain goals you need to reach. Yeah. But if you go into it without expectation, understand that you know by making things happen out of nothing, by organically creating things, to your point, building relationships, which obviously then came back and added benefits and value and kind of set you off in different directions that you could never predict, things will sort of bubble up and opportunities will come. Yeah. You just have to get started. Yeah. I remember thinking, it was funny, the, 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 for the first conference, Inside View gave us a, a $10,000 sponsorship. And they were, they're like a big company at the time. They raised a hundred and something million dollar like Series D. And 
so I sold them the sponsorship, and they're like, all right, well, who do we make the check out to? I'm like, shit, I got to get an LLC. Like, I can't have them cut a personal check to me. So I ended up, I ran over to, I went to LegalZoom, like, got a, uh, I think it was called, like, Startup Sales LLC. Like, I still didn't know it was going to be Sales Hacker. I didn't know if this was going to be part of the consultancy or what I was going to do. So Startup Sales LLC was the first LLC. Went to the bank, opened up a bank account, was able to accept that check. And um, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is an interesting business because, Every ticket I sell is like, it's my money. This is like how I make money. So, all right, we just sold a ticket. You know, I sold three tickets on a Saturday one time, and I was at the, I think I went down to the Cowboys-Broncos game, and uh, in the same weekend, Arizona State, which is my alma mater, was playing Notre Dame. So I went down with a couple of my college friends for this weekend, and uh, this was right before the first conference, uh, maybe like two weeks before the first conference. So I think I sold like three tickets on Saturday and three tickets on Sunday. And I was like, I was down here getting drunk watching football and I made, you know, uh, $1,800 or something like that. I remember thinking like, this is a pretty cool business. Like, I like this. It's uh, it's something that's somewhat passive, but at the same time, I get paid for the work that I put in instead of, you know, a standard salary at a company where it's like, you can, you can hustle all you want, but this is what you're making. Um, and I felt like I had control. It was the first time I, I had felt like, I had built something where I had like kind of full control over what I was going to make. It was coming directly to me, and uh, you know I remember scrambling in the in the last couple of days there to find like a last minute sponsor because it was the same thing. If I closed the sponsor and I had room for him and, and we set him up at the event, that's you know fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred to five thousand dollars that come directly to me. Um, so we closed like a thirty five hundred dollar sponsor at the last minute. I was like, that that's fantastic. Like that's what I used to make in a month. You know when I first started at Udemy, and now I can. I can get that in the last minute on a sponsorship for a conference. Like it just mentally opened a lot of doors for me um, in my thinking of of being like, wow, there's something here, and 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 I can control it. I really like that. I'm sure that gave you a lot of confidence. And clearly, you've been making things happen. And and uh, you basically what started as a conference is now a whole media company. And to me, it seems like you're positioned for a lot more growth as well. This, uh, this space is still has a lot of potential. But can you talk us through maybe one of the scariest moments in your entrepreneurial journey where you, you thought, oh, shit, I mean, which because it happens all the time, right? Where maybe everything will go wrong or? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot. Where to even begin? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably stuff that I don't want to share on the, on the on a podcast, but like one of the biggest one of the biggest ones was uh, the first learning of um, realizing that it nobody is irreplaceable. So I had an employee early on at Sales Hacker that did a lot of the heavy lifting on things, and I I let them um, I let them do a little more than I than I should have. Or I, I let them get away with a little more than I should have, but I was so scared to do anything about it because I was like, "What do we do after them? Like, I don't even know what I would do. Like, I, I'd be screwed." And looking back on it, you know, obviously after we parted ways, I realized like, "Holy shit, I didn't really need that person. Um, I could replace that person." The the good thing is that a lot of times, you know, especially when you're working, it's your baby, and yeah. uh, when somebody leaves or whatever it is, it seems really really bad. It might be a little bit sustained and it's the feeling is stuck with you for a while, but the solution, you'll figure it out. I mean, that's, you have to figure it out if you want to keep the business going. Uh, And you may even realize that you built it up to a point where uh, it's, it seems much worse than it is. Yeah. um, 
when you first start working on your own company or, or first start working in startups, I saw like a really good graph. Uh, it was illustrated. So it was like, so this was uh, the amount of time, the bottom axis, and then the side axis was um, like your high and low. And so when you first start, like the lows are really low and the highs are really high. But as time goes on and you've done it more, you, it kind of like narrows and then eventually like you don't care. So any low is like, oh, been there before. I'm not going to be mad about this in a week, so I'm not going to be mad about it right now. And even the highs, you're like, just a milestone onto the next thing. You know, I'm in this weird place right now where my girlfriend is always like, you're launching your second book next week. Like, celebrate. Let's do something. That's amazing. And I'm just like, that's not interesting to me. Like, when you know, and, and I'll say, oh, well, the book's got to sell 3,000 copies in the first week. She's like, then will you celebrate? It's like... No, because I don't want it to sell five. And you're just like always striving for something or, or it's, you know, it's always the next thing. Like even if somebody were to come and give me the, the amount of money I wanted, you know, to acquire a sales hacker, you know, at some point, it's like, cool. Like I'm on to the next thing. Like I, I, I'm on to, all right, well, how are we going to integrate it? What are we going to do? Like this is fun. It's a journey. I, I don't really, I've kind of like lost track of hoping for some kind of destination or wishing for some destination and enjoying the journey but it took a while to figure that out it took a lot of ups and downs to figure that out yeah and i think a lot of entrepreneurs or people that want to be entrepreneurs i should say start off because they have a certain destination in their mind yeah a certain level that they want to be at professionally certain amount that they want in their bank account i think that's a good thing because a lot of times that's what motivates you to get started but if you're not uh, if you're not enjoying the work day to day, if you're not enjoying actually tackling the challenges, which is why we talk about sometimes, and it's not easy to think of the right idea, but think of the business that you actually want to run day to day over, let's say, a specific you know huge milestone, because it's more so about that day to day, and you need to enjoy it if you're going to push through the the difficult times, and you yeah. need to. You need to be able to see opportunities where other people don't see them, and you won't unless you're uh, sort of optimistic about yeah. the work that you're doing day to day. I need to strike a balance. I mean, yeah. I, I agree with my girlfriend that I need to start cherishing some of the, the good times um, a little bit more. And uh, and I got to figure out how to, how to do that after a few years of um, becoming numb to emotion on a lot of these things, which, is, which has been a, a good thing because uh, if you let the negative stuff get to you, it, could, it can completely consume you and drown your business. And you also don't want to get into the... Um, I don't know that the the crunch base or you know tech crunch world where you're like, well, I thought I was doing good, but that guy that uh, started his company at the same time mine just raised you know a jillion dollars, and so I guess I'm not really doing that good. And then you start like comparing yourself to other people, or you don't want to get into that either. So like I try I try not to, or like for a long time I've tried to stay away from that, and now I see it, and it's like good for them. Like I have a a network of really successful people that have come up in, in kind of uh, around the same time that I started coming up and uh, it's inspiring. It's not a, uh, I'm a competitive person, but I need to be competitive with myself and doing better every year than the last and not competitive with other people with variables I can't control. Um, it took a while to, to figure that out. Yeah, big big takeaway from this episode for me personally is that um, anyone that's just starting out 
it's important to just go out there and try different things and start different businesses, start different, let's say even meetups, which is what this essentially grew out of without necessarily having that specific destination in mind and being open to things happening that you can't necessarily foresee. The more you start, the more opportunities you create for yourself and the more you learn what not to do for the next time. So don't try to plan the perfect outcome. Uh, just take it as it comes and continue building on your skill and hopefully that will turn into a business. Certainly don't worry, as you said, about what other people are doing because you are not aware of the problems that they have anyways. And the things that we see online and publicly posted are probably 10% of the story at most. Uh, so I would say I agree with you. Embrace the numbness because yeah. it will. that's the thick skin that everybody talks about. It helps you get through the terrible times. But also, I think it's okay even to be numb sometimes on the positive stuff because that just means you're focused on the next thing. Exactly. And you have a ton of stuff going on. You have a couple companies now. You have several books. Uh, we're going to continue to follow your path. It's been really exciting. We've actually been aware of you for a while kind of on the side, and you were always offering value through your content, which is why we were so excited to have you on, on the podcast. So thanks a lot for coming by, Max. Yeah, thanks for having me.